recording in progress. Yo, welcome to Willie's World. Dopest dope you're ever going to smoke. Um, in today's episode, we're with the one and only Phil Casabon and my very good friend and colleague, Mr. Eric Iberg. Now, first what? off, Phil and I share a certain um, homage to Iberg because of one movie that was probably one of the most impactful movies in my entire life, which was the one and only Royalty. And Phil, when I was 14, I was at SMS and a young and virile Eric Iberg came over and gave me a mixtape from the upcoming uh, Royalty soundtrack, which was very, very impactful on me. And I remember listening to that tape probably about 2,000 times. Wicked. Big up Bugs, the mixer on the Inspired Royalty or the RoyaltyTour.com mixtape. So do you... <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you saw um, that movie, Phil? Nope, not right now. No, I can't say the first time I saw it, but I was introduced to it by the local crew, the 1012 crew at my ski resort. They were all uh, four year older than me, and they were all already into weed smoking and just uh, a bit more uh, rebel than I was. So I looked up to them and uh, they told me I had to see this movie and I'm not sure uh, when or where I saw it first, but they uh, put me on. To put it in perspective, Phil Casabon in 2001 was 11 years old. So it was a, it was a pretty young age to be fully in the seat. Yeah. And it was a young sport too at that time. Yeah, my old coach was the was the dinner star team manager. When that shout out to Cedric Messier, OG motherfucker. Um, I don't know if you remember him, Phil, but Eric definitely does. So yeah, can you tell yeah, me? So can you tell me, Eric? How did you originally um your your first movie well, that was called Spun? Is that correct? I remember seeing it on a on a VHS tape that some dude had dubbed, maybe five years later, and I don't remember how or why I got it. Um, I've only seen it once. Nice. Yeah, that was my first movie. Spun. Have you ever seen that movie, Phil? Yes, sir, I have. It's a classic. It's a and, classic. Uh, it was uh, blunted by Phillies. Who was the sponsor, Zyberg? We had Philly Blunts, we had Tangeray, and we had uh, Hennessy. What the fuck is Tangeray? Well, you don't <laughs> spell it, son. You drink it. Didn't you watch the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Tangeray is. Fucking it's in a green bottle, man. It's gin. It's gin. That's fucking hilarious. So skiing slowly come along and um progressed. Phil, you um obviously were pretty probably influenced by the three Phils and um you know JF, JP, all that stuff. What what mountain did you actually grow up in Quebec? Like what was your local hill? Can't, can't hear you, bro. You've gone in my A. No more. Oh, there he's on mute. Yep. It's called Venitsbach, and it's about an hour and a half away from uh, where the three Phils grew up, called Le Relais. And um, yeah, it's a small hill, about 200 meters. My grandfather and his two brothers founded the resort. So I was fortunate enough to grow up right next to it. And uh, have a free ski pass from the day. Damn, wait, damn, I want to know more. 
Your grandpa started uh, Valdu Park? Yep, with his brothers. Did they cut down the trees and stuff? Yeah, they might have had something to do with it, but I think they hired some uh, some real tree cutters. That's awesome. Pick up Grandpa Casabon, or if it was another name. Yep, yep, Matou. The park. So um, you, you grew up in that little scene, obviously, in the early days. Um, do you remember the first X Games? Do you remember seeing the the summer X Games that the JP and JF did the JF did the um the backflip Japan where his his fly was down with those old orange BFA pants that was featured in Freeze? Do you remember that, Iberg? Not I couldn't uh, tune into that at home, uh, but I saw some footage. I'm pretty sure in uh, perhaps the game, or maybe that might have that been a year later. Degenerates. Summer of 98, Summer X Games did it in San Diego, a scaffolding big air. And Summer 99, there was a scaffolding big air for X Games in San Francisco Bay. And then all the Tahoe kids went to the San Francisco one. And that was the one where Pastrana did the backflip into the ocean when he was like 15. Yes, that was pretty impactful. Do you remember that that uh that shot in Freeze Iberg of the uh of JF upside down with his oh, thing so. I I just remember I was so blown away that there were scaffolding jumps and people were doing tricks and then they they were in a summer locate everything was just epic but no I don't remember that exact shot but I'm sure I got the magazine and um <clears throat> so Phil um how do you, how did you guys originally meet uh you and Iberg. Iberg was uh, rolling weed in uh, the Ara- or at the Arage Master in the Armada scaffolding boot, and he was. Uh, I just have a, a image of him sitting on the ground and rolling doobie after doobie as Iberg does, and um, I, that's where we met unofficially. Maybe not for him. Uh, I don't think I no, actually like. That was the year that you had the white overcoat and the and the, the yellow wig, and then like I made a video with Mikel where we just killed all the people, and you killed you were killed by Mikel and the DVDX is Dubsky. So yeah, and I met you at the house because Alex was there, and your dad, and we had a humongous like mansion and mammoth for our modern investors who were there, and yeah, I lived in mammoth. Yeah, no, that was the first time for sure I met you. I was all stoked because you were like. First little kid on Armada. Yep. But still, was like 14. I was 24, 2004. Was that, was that the one that Candide came to and did that stall on the top of the, the thing and then did the three out? Did a disaster stall on the on the top barrage and then did the three out, covered in black like a ninja? They no, were no. That year. No, so Eiberg uh, actually like uh, had the good year figured but not the clothing the clothing was uh not that uh that year year. that candide was there was uh two years later yeah or a year later in life also it was the first it was the first one with the back-to-back c boxes wasn't it uh no not quite it was uh the first one that araj had teams and they had team captains and uh jp was one and he picked me so I actually uh, was wrong too when saying Iberg was twisting doobies. That's a year later, but I met it. Yeah, because it wasn't our Armada team. Because Tanner and CR were on a team. Yep. 
Yeah, Tanner had his team. R.I.P. to uh, Mr. C.R. Johnson. At the time, he was probably the best. Oh, I don't know about the, the second best gear on planet Earth. That that segment that he had, um, where he did the that right side three off that Donna cliff was, um, he was on another level at that point. Yeah, two thousand three, C.R. Johnson, man, might have been like him, him in the pipe, him in the backcountry, him doing everything. He was not normal. And then he obviously Ski got Ski Movie Three. I think yeah. that's it. Ski Movie Three, where he does the um that that uh the two jumps in a row where he goes uh left side cork seven to that bio ten that he used to do in a row of those two big jumps that they built. Do you remember that sequence? Yes, sir. That was pretty that was pretty G. Um <clears throat> I think the only CNN person CNN Invincible. Oh, you remember the track. That's pretty epic. That was why it was so epic, man. That jam is wicked. Can't have a good segment if your song sucks. No. <laughs> so fast forward a few years. Um, how did you originally get on Arage and what was the deal with that? Like that that was a pretty big company. Was that Mike Nick that originally got in kind of invested in that, or was that from Civic Cyber Cartel, however you want to pronounce it? Um, that, that led into that kind of person getting into free skiing? Mike, uh, yeah, Mike, as you said, was, uh, I think he was already uh, ooh, coming ooh. close to an end with uh, Cyber Cartel at that point. He he had nothing to do with Orage yet. But uh, so they put me on Orage after a contest, one of the first contests I did in uh, Bromont, a resort in Quebec, and they thought I did well. So they put me on and they thought I was too small to wear the Orage gear. So they put me on the Orage for kids, which was called Le Like Us. L-I-L-A-I-K-U-S, which was uh, very short-lived. And that's how I started with them and uh, grew with them since they were a Montreal-based company. So it was really easy communication and uh, on and on. So were they were they uh, originally a ski brand or were they like another brand that actually just got into making ski clothes and then they saw free skiing and then they were like oh this is what the kids like and uh, that, then they kind of you were the first dude that they sponsored weren't wasn't weren't you or that was before no they yeah. had like Rex Thomas Yannick B wearing the ugliest outfits in two thousand just oh, neon Julian, maybe Julian Renier was on it ah uh, yeah I remember okay. Julian being on those original John Sims yeah. oh Sims. Yeah, they all had that the green uh, Ninja Turtle outfit going that year. Mm-hmm. Orange. But Rex Thomas, I think, was one of the first. If we go back to WSI in 2000, <laughs> he was rocking it. <laughs> yeah. And there was a Quebec uh, X game uh, skier cross girl named Anique Demers who won a gold in 2000. That was Araj's biggest skier. Just if we want to get technical. We like technical. We like technical. Yeah. Yeah, so they I don't think uh, the brand owner meant it to be a, a free ski oriented brand. I think he started it in 1989, so definitely free skiing was not around then, so he started it more as a wow. like outdoor brand and uh then it became what it was because it just evolved around and they just followed the trends, I think. So fast forward, what maybe four, or maybe four years, five years. You you meet up with your probably your number one brethren in skiing, uh, Mr. Henrik Hallo, 
Um, how did you two originally meet? And um, was it your mutual love for royalty and for probably Mikel? Um, well, actually, how about before that? How did you meet Mikel originally? And was he the most influential skier as you were a kid? Because I yep, still remember Mikkel the first was... time I, I met Mikel when I was 12. And he was, he was, uh, he's from Morjan, which is on the backside of Chattel. I was on the Chattel Mogul team. And I remember him coming on, it was the first pair of Dinastar concepts that I'd ever seen. And he came skiing with us for the afternoon. And my friend Floris, it was his cousin. And I remember talking to Cedric about it. And he was like, oh, that's Mikel. He's going to be a big deal. And I was like, I was like, wow. Do you remember the first time you saw him? Epic. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw him for sure. Hard uh, hard not to. Uh, I, I was in Les Deux Alpes for a fall contest on a stair set, uh, stair set jib. And uh, Mikel just uh, introduced himself to me and uh, asked me what I was doing after the trip. And I was leaving back home. And he told me he was going to Budokan, which you both might be familiar with. It's a chalet in switzerland that's close to glacier 3000 and that is uh close the to Mont Abri. Mont and the b bar yep yep never been exactly never been glacier and uh, all it does out extended the invitation and uh got me on got me in on his whip and i changed my plane ticket he brought me to budokan and henrik was living at the budokan I had already met Henrik a year prior, but had not planned to see him again, really. But that got us together, and that's when we uh, made up the idea of making uh, the B and E show. Had you guys uh, had you started smoking the herb at that at that young age, or that was that a little bit older in life? No, no, that was uh, right about those uh, times. Maybe uh, I had started again because I had started very young, got cut, got caught, stopped and started again so that might have been my renaissance moment and and when you were a kid in quebec how did you guys smoke weed did you smoke like did you remember trying to roll your first shitty joint or did you have a bong or did you see in australia everybody chops we we don't smoke straight or i don't i do but i grew up i grew up in canada so but here you know you have a little chop bowl you chop it up with tobacco and then you smoke out of a little dirty orchard bottle bong so how did oh, you nice. how did it's pretty dirty so like but it's it's like a it's like a coming of age thing here because we're you know it's just cannabis culture is a little bit you know a little bit um you know uh we're we're very kind of uh ostracized out here in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh huh. Yeah, our style was uh, pretty rugged, like yours. I'd take uh, a a can, an aluminium oh, can, and just yeah. uh, put some holes in there put and some holes uh, in. And I remember doing that when I couldn't roll a joint. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while to roll joints. I think I was introduced to joints uh, through my travels because out here, uh, people were using yeah like pipes or cans or uh, smoking hash from the tip of a cigarette into a plastic bottle with a hole. Quebecers well, taught me about the hot knives. Hot knives were awesome. Yeah, that yeah, was awesome. Uh, that was the whole thing. Bill, the, one of the first times I ever smoked weed, you remember Stefan Thomas? I met him at the um at the airport at SMS when I was like fourteen, and he comes up to me with his little ratty dreadlocks that he used to have, and he goes, "Want to see my rollerblade video?" And I'm like, "Who the fuck is this weird motherfucker?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, show me." And he showed me his rollerblade video, and then we became friends. And I was like, 
I remember skiing with him and he was like the best mogul skier. He had so much style. I was like, fuck, I want to be like this guy. So I just like, just hung out with him like the whole week. And then him and B divine B was like fucking like 10 and he looked like he was 50. And we went to high <laughs> yeah, north. Your crew was wicked. We to the high north hotel on the day off and we smoked it. We got an eighth off the block and we smoked a fucking out of an apple bong for like two hours. And then, and then Stefan ate the apple. And I've never seen someone so high in my entire life. It was very, very funny. It's like interesting, That's those awesome. little young stories. I, I, Turpin told me a story about the first time he met Candide. He was at, I think, the same hotel. And he ended up sitting with Candide for like four or five hours just smoking weed with him. And Candide said like three words to him the whole time. So it's just interesting that those early days of like how cannabis culture was so impactful on a whole generation of kids that were just little you know, little fucking. Little and just fuckers. for the fact that the highlight of listening to that story was you going, and he ate the apple. Oh, I love did. that shit. Like that you was, were that excited. It's, it's that permanently excited. put in your excited. It was like, so, so you, um, so originally you, you started on Mirage and then you, you started hanging out with Mikel. Well, in those couple of years, were you spending a lot more time in Europe? Um, you know, in the, in, in La Deux Alpes and in, in kind of that little area of, of France? Because obviously there was, the the new the new freestyle movement of um david Boval and um julian and candide and stuff in france at the same time that the new canadian air force was going off like were you exposed to those guys as well because you're because you're a francophone uh only through uh poor boys movies like uh the game and propaganda but uh later my parents took me on a ski trip to uh Chamonix and that's how like uh, around 12 13 years old that's was my first introduction and then it took me a little bit till I got overseas again but when I did go overseas it was uh, because I was uh trying to compete in skiing and it must have been around those uh I mean it was probably for a Raj European Open because Raj had put me on some stuff like that King of Style Sweden Late two thousands, you would. Oh, that was the one that that was the one that that was the one that um, the Julian one with that big backflip mute to fakie. I think he did very first one, but you're talking. You have to understand, Phil's like five years after these guys, six years after these guys. No, I know that. That was that was the same one. They only did the King of Style two years in two years. Pretty sure. Think really? Because when Phil did it, they had a rail jam before, and I think that was like year three or four. But we're we're talking fifteen years ago. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? And did you ever go to the, did you ever do the Yoon Olsen? Like, did you ever do the Red Bull Big Air back in the day in Aura before it became the Yoon Olsen um, Invitational? Yeah, yeah, I was invited there. Yeah, I- Did you go? Yeah, yeah, I went, yeah. To Yoon's event or the Red Bull Big Air? The Red Bull, uh, I mean, no, no, not the Red Bull Big Air, the Yoon Jump, but it was, uh, it was uh, Red Bull, but it's not the Red Bull Big Air, it's Yoon's event, yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, went, nice... you got a key to the city? Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah, I did. The golden key. Did Hell you meet yeah. a nice little 18-year-old Swedish girl that, you know, made you a 18. man? No, no no good stories in my memory. It's really uh, foggy. It's really foggy. I don't think there was... How did you... Yeah. Okay, so what about, um, what about you know, like half of my life traveling around the world skiing, I was, I was more into free riding, was chasing weed. Um, and going to random fucking places to try and get on because a lot of these countries just don't have a cannabis scene. Um, did you ever get to smoke in Sweden? 
Because at obviously, some point I did for sure. So but not not that that Yuna super session. I remember Henrik invited me to uh, quote smoke some fruits, which uh, he meant that he uh, was smoking shisha, and he invited me to smoke shisha, but I didn't go. And it's shisha hash. No, shisha was uh, shisha. You know, like a, this uh, like huge pipe, like an octopus, like a few. Okay, uh, a hookah thing. A hookah. Yep. Right. Yeah, because oh, in fun. Sweden, in Sweden, even now, like if you smoke weed, like you, you looked at like you're a fucking drug addict junkie. Like they're so progressive, progressive that they take on their, their, their wife's name, which I think is a bit strange, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, if, cannabis culture in Sweden is like very behind the times. I think that's why Yoon got divorced was because he took on his wife's name. So it's not very masculine. It's <laughs> a deep that. thought you have from the outside on the other side of the world. Yeah, well, I'm, st- I'm, you know, in Australia, we're still alpha male fucking assholes. That's right. Poor <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker. So, Phil, so you, you ended up hanging out with Henrik and then that, um, how, then you start, you dropped the B&E. How did you guys originally, like, you guys obviously were both obsessed with Wu-Tang and, um, how did you come up with the two, the two nicknames coming together, kind of like Batman and Robin? Yeah, those were already uh, pre-established. Henrik got his from uh, Mikhail Idolo, and I had my nickname from uh, the crew I did Rollerblade with back in the days when I was 13 years old. And uh, when I got with Henrik, when Mikhail brought me from Les Deux Diablerie, I got with Henrik, and I had been listening to uh, Redman, Method Man, Wu-Tang was really my thing, and... Henrik at that point was more into like a dip set genre and uh, we just uh, fuse and blended with our love for hip hop really. But it was either in my mind, Paul Bergeron or at that point I got like the serendipity of the moment I got linked with Henrik. So Henrik was going to be the method man in the crew, but I had to find uh, a duo. I had to So find you were already person. looking for a duo? Before you met Henrik? Yep. That's and Paul was awesome. going to be it. But Paul, uh, it so happens that Paul wasn't uh, at the same places mm-hmm. where I was that often. Interesting. It's true. Yeah, the world, man, brings forces together for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, you guys, so you guys were hanging out. So did you spend a bit of time like that season um, in um, in France with, with, Hen- with Henrik? Because he was living in... Um, and that was when he was on Ninth Ward, is that correct? Or was he on um, Scott still? Uh, full Ninth Ward at that point, I believe. Yeah, he was uh, Yeah, on the Mikel train. Yeah, because he had a pro model on. He had a, his first pro model on Ninth Ward. Yeah, that's accurate. A few of them. He had four. Did you know that B Divine even got a pro model on Ninth Ward? <laughs> Shout out no to B. <laughs> I yeah, all all uh all skiers sponsored by Ninth Ward had their pro model. I feel like I think it was just I think, so. I think it was just the same ski with a different top sheet, wasn't it? No uh-huh. idea. Uh, I guess Rory had like uh, a wider ski at some point, but most of them seemed like they were like. And same with the big mountain guy from Utah. I forgot his name, but he had Nick, a pro model. Big Nick Greener. Nick his name Greener. Was. I used to compete on the free ride tour with him. He's a funny guy. He was a fucking shredder, though. He had another brother, too, named... um, What's his other brother? I can't remember his other brother. 
What's that? What's something that? greener. Something greener. Greener pastures, <laughs> maybe. So Phil, fast forward like three or four years. Um, you you start you guys have been hanging out for a while. Then you guys do the the B and E invitational. Who originally um kind of put that together in in your brain? Was that uh was that a brain fart of yours or a brain fart of Henrik's? Uh, I I think it was uh, a lot of Iberg was orchestrating at that point a lot of uh, so to backtrack a little bit Henrik and I do three episodes uh, independently on our fourth fourth episode which was all done we uh, meet up with Iberg and Tanner at I have three festival in Annecy they tell us about inspired media we knew about it obviously but they want to put us on. We agreed to release our fourth episode with Inspired Media, Muddy Winters. And uh, so Iberg basically uh, put us on with Tanner and uh, the saga begun with Inspired and b and And at that point, Iberg was uh, orchestrating a lot of the, the B&E stuff. But uh, the inception of the Invitational, maybe Iberg, you could... Uh, so we started eliminate us. Yes. So in 2012, so with Inspired, every year we had different shit. We had movies, we had tours, we had all this stuff. So early 2010, Street League was huge. And like none of us, like in our circle at Inspired, was really stoked on how contests were going. Tanner was injured, coming back. So it wasn't there. Phil was just hitting the point where national teams were coming onto the scene. And you had to do certain things. So it wasn't the same way it was for the first 10, 15 years of the sport. So we we're looking at it and we did a movie, you know, in 2012, we did education and style with Tanner, Phil and Henrik. And we're like, what's next? You know, like we did a documentary. We got them into some pow and Retallic. They were doing their own thing. Same year as Retallic with Muddy Winters. We got, came all together, did education and style. Like things were banging. We're like, what's next? And we're like, hey, Tanner had a position to do an invitational. So we're like, okay, hey, let's do Tanner Hall Invitational this year. And then next year, we'll add a B&E Invitational. Tanner's now, will be the now, kind of the... Now, big... was that originally inspired by Candide's Invitational? No, nah, this was us wanting to make a series of events that were fun for people that we believe need an outlet for exposure that weren't X Games skiers necessarily. So basically, or Olympians. you looked at Rob Diedrich's model and you were like, we could do that. for and we, and we manipulated it, you know, like, because we want... It wasn't the... Street League is all street. You know, so like we're looking at there's so many awesome things in freestyle skiing, whereas like Tanner's was this transition big air idea, whereas like quarter pipes, hips, whatever. And then we moved into Phil and Henrik's event. That was the evolution of a slope style, but we modified it off. Holy Bully, I think is the name of it. Yeah. The, the snowboard sun, event. Sunshine, so we're like, sunshine. We put and it on, yeah, we put it on crack. You know, if you look at what we created, it's like. It wasn't normal. And then the goal was the third year we had a B-Paul Invitational in Quebec. And then that would just be a basic big air or something at like Stoneham. And then our dream was we could invite everyone. And then all of a sudden we had enough exposure through our distribution outlets of live feeds and replays where it would have been a whole new outlet for people to just friends get together, have fun, and then do shit no one's ever done on features no one's ever skied before, including themselves. So... Yeah, it was kind of evolution because everyone who was part of Inspired, like, what what can we do for you? What platforms can we give and then involve everyone else into that platform? So that's it was kind of evolution, the B&E Invitational. 
And and so, <clears throat> did was there any plans to do any kind of big mountain um, in that? Like any kind of free ride invitational? Tanner's always dreamed it. It's something still to this day. Like he looks at what um, Travis Rice does. Me, logistically wise, I would never want to do it. Already like with you having to worry about the elements and then creating a feature and then hoping it all turns out perfect on that one day where you say go and God says no. Supernatural is the, the natural selection to uh, is the greatest thing that has ever happened. Hey, I hear you. And I, but I would never and, touch it as a producer. And any, let me go get a satellite truck and, and fly I, and I talk, into the back country. I talked to Sammy about it, that Sammy got flown there and, you know, Travis put him up and blah, 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 blah. And was like interested in skiing, but then he didn't pursue it. And I was like, dude, like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Like you need but that's to take what it's that going to take a Sammy, you know, like Sammy is this like leader. No, it, He's still it needs to be candid and candid needs to back it. And then he needs to do it and then win it. And then he needs to just fuck off again and then get all those Euro sponsors involved. Because... I'd say right now, the only way I'll say it. So this is my call out to Tanner and Candid to finally fucking do something together for the first time in their careers. Tanner, Candid, get together, Talk bring to the Travis. continents together and dominate. The two legends and icons that would love to ski with fucking whoever skied in it. I want to see it. Tanner Candide. Travis Rice is on another level, man. That 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 competition is just so well shot. The drone operator is just incredible. It's like a video game. It's and the 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 terrain that they pick and the different resorts. It's just like it's so fucking sick. And agreed. It's and it's amazing. reinvigorated snowboarding. Like it really is the next level of progression and a lot of these other things are becoming stale and as an avid um consumer of uh action sports content um it's probably the most entertaining thing that's out there at this present time in my perspective the surf tour is basically trying to become the golf tour uh street league is kind of cool but now you've got all these little jocks that are just kind of i guess it street league's pretty dope because it, it, it depends on the course um but that that's that natural selection is just so epically produced. It's just it's in, in fucking incredible. What do you think? So you're about saying you it, like Phil? it? I fucking love it. It's amazing. Do you watch it, Phil, as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely baffling on some uh, on some uh, different dimension. They crush. So, um, what do you think of the state of free skiing at the moment, Phil? Like, what what are your uh, thoughts on it as you're getting a little bit older? Um, how much longer do you reckon you'll be in the game for? And where do you see skiing going in the next kind of five years with all these quads and, you know, not 2100s and obviously style is still around, but then there's also all these like, all these rollerblade like skiers that are doing like the, the top low kind of lame fucking daffy shit. That's just so gay, bro. Lame yeah, there is, there is uh... Yeah, you know, like they do the lame <laughs> Daffy. So I'm talking about like the presses, the the Daffy press that he, that that top loaf kid does. Like, I don't know, I don't, I don't like digging that. yourself into a hole, dog. I, think that, I love that shit. <laughs> I think that shit's so lame, bro. That's just my opinion. I think, I think style is not is. I don't like this whole swerve movement. No style, like flappy hands. Like it's just, it just doesn't look good. It just doesn't represent skiing well. And if you show that. If you show the good way to un, to look at what skiing, how skiing is consumed, is to show something cool to a non-skier and kind of see how they digest it. From my opinion, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, it's always been that way too. Skiing's been uh, showcased in some whack ways, and some people have showcased it with style and finesse. And uh, that's why why we came in the game pretty much is uh, we maybe thought some of it was whack, and we wanted to make uh, sure it was uh, looking good. You know, that's kind of why I am still around other than the fact that it uh it fulfills me and I make a living off of it and I get to self-express creatively. But I think uh, still there is some whack shit, but there is, uh, on the other hand, a lot of very uh, impressive stylistic and uh, people that are doing their thing that really shine and make skiing look very good. And um, yet... I see it just consistently grow in both direction in a way that is not desirable and in the other way that is very desirable that I love to watch some of these kids is uh, the way I dream to ski and now they doing, they doing it with ease. It, it kind of goes uh, the same way with skateboarding, with the evolution. Like there are some uh, people who are atrocious and technical and some people who are stylistically just uh, beautiful to watch. Shout out to can ask, can last forever, Willie. Shout out to Tom Penny. Yeah, it can, man. Exactly. Yeah, it can. Yeah. Icon state, like, style is, style is forever. Christian Hasoy, Tom Penny, fucking Christian, um, Christian Fletcher, which is obviously a surfer, um, fucking Aussie Riot. You know, there's certain dudes that just have that, timeless style and if you look at if you look at surfing now they're starting to catch up like there's a lot of people are acknowledging that uh that a that just doing a big grab a big stale fish is more difficult than doing a full rotation you know um backside you know 450 that they call you know 540 when it's really just a 450 so you know that 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 homage to that that's why all those guys that are the best skaters in the world when they meet Tom Penny, they're like, "Oh my God, it's Tom Penny!" It's like, it's like Mikel with a, you know, with a, with a fakey nine that he did at the U.S. Open, that and that fakey ten. Like that's still the most iconic ski trick ever done, in my opinion. You know, like it was so impactful and it was so stylish, and you could play that to somebody now, fifteen years later, and it still would have the same impact. They'd be like, "What the fuck? That was amazing!" And if you watch kids now, it's just like. It's aerials with a grab, man, and it just looks it just looks lame, and and it does. Well, that's why I can I can still post shit of Phil from fucking ten fifteen years ago, and it's still smooth. It's not the fact that someone can do it bigger or better; is the fact no one else can make something look that smooth on something that basic. And like that's why I'm gonna just say right now, Phil's the illest because if you can go to Michigan, if you watch his last piece with Mike Hornbeck, Truck Talk, yeah, like, that was pretty sick. They actually. go ski flat shit. And it looks fun. And an average person is not even going to think a kid in Michigan is normally going to think, Oh man, I could never get good at skiing because this is all I got. I got to move out West. I got to go to Academy. I need an airbag. And then you can go watch Phil just dominate a kid's backyard. And so like, because he has that mental, it's, it can go forever because everything's an option, not just the third jump on a slope style day that this needs to be performed. Those are the only people that need to retire. Similarly to um, Mike Vallely, do you remember, you know, the skateboarder, you remember his series where he used to travel around on fuel and he'd just kind of skate the most ghetto spots. He'd skate like a piece of concrete in the middle of Nebraska. 
And he'd be doing hand plant, street plant, bean plant, you know, little twisty Rodney Mullen stuff. And it's just like having fun and people can relate to that because it looks sick and it's, it's, it's iconic and it's, it's timeless. And I think that skiing is finally at the point now where it's not about tricks. It's about how you do what you do and kind of what you do it on as opposed to, you know, oh, you just did the latest switch. Uh, well, switch doesn't exist in skiing, um, in my opinion. Um, we don't have a stance. So when you do a fakie, you know, triple, triple 21. You can say backwards is okay. Yeah, that sounds kind of, I don't know about that one. <laughs> you don't want to take it backwards? <laughs> have you guys seen how the, the BMX guys are starting to do like 540 <laughs> like the kickers to fakie? Yeah, now I that, just saw some wicked. Now that's yeah. fucking that. He does like a cork five, man, like a proper like Mikel like carved cork five, and goes over the fun box to the flat and lands and then reverts in like a, in reverts like a butter and it's like, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. This is about to cut out, so I'll send you guys another link in about one minute. All right. Yes, sir. Is that all right? Yeah, cool. I yeah. love it. You might yeah. as well just do it now since you're at this point. Yeah, all right. Just I'll end it now, up. and then I'll send you the other thing, all right? Easy. I'll okay. email it to you, all right? No, do the same thing you did last night. Best for me. Send it on right. the on the WhatsApp. All right. What What was the Town Hall Invitational like for you with all those different transitions? Obviously, when you were a kid, did you, did you ski much pipe? Being from Quebec when back in the day, you know, it was almost like obligatory for a uh, – a large resort to have a super pipe, whereas now there's probably less than five in all of Canada. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, there are very few pipes nowadays. There's probably one in the whole province of Quebec, but uh, there wasn't a half pipe at the resort I grew up, so I never ski transitions. I learned to ski transitions on concrete, basically is... Uh, was my introduction to trannies and uh otherwise like uh i'd never skied a, a pipe really thoroughly enough to feel myself but on a skateboard i also kind of understood the physics more because i could skate a quarter pipe so i could understand how it worked but uh never really got acquainted and felt comfortable in a half pipe and um <clears throat> What was it like? Uh, what was that the, that first invitational when you rocked up to Les Arc and they had all the um, all the banners on the flags and you know that big course at the bottom of that at that bottom of that chairlift? Was that a pretty impactful moment in your career? Like where you're like, look what we've created as a team. So Willie's talking about the second one because he actually went to the second one. No, and I, that was venue the, I was, was... At, I was at the first one and the second one. Oh yeah, I didn't go to the third one. The second one. The I, second one. Yeah, I, I was at the first one and the second one. The first one was the one when uh, Candy did the double backflip out of the end of the pipe. That was awesome. And yep, I ended up, yep. I ended up hanging out with you. I, I had breakfast next to your brother Phil Alex, and I ended up hanging out with him a bunch. He's a cool dude. I think. Oh I hell yeah! He's a cool. Yeah, guy. my brother uh, was uh, charged to do the the live stream for the event, which was dope. He did yeah, the whole when... live stream for a pair of free skis. I don't know if you uh, get that again in life. When Nico said no. the end, when that Nico Zachary guy said the N bomb on the live feed, right? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, I don't know if Phil was in the in the room when he did that. I know uh, 
little Kiabamba Nico was in the room with us and one other person, I think. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Germans are guilty. Sorry, it is what it is. <laughs> it was like a record stopped for me. I just look at him. I'm like, did you just say that word? Like, what the fuck? And he's like smiling like the happiest human, like not even thinking. And I'm just like, man, a little different in Germany than America. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny, Eric. You made me fucking laugh, dude. So, anyways, what was that like? That moment when you like kind of came across the first, the first, um, the first course that Lezark bought for you because they really rolled out the red carpet. That that um that chick that was the marketing manager that Raf used to work with. I can't remember what her name was. No, big up a Raf on all that because as Phil's brother, he just said his brother worked for a pair of skis. What Raf did with all his connections on site in France, his dad was the cook, right? Like his dad made everyone food like at the venue that was working there. All Raf's like childhood friends were like, I made the trophies. Like it was, it was an awesome group effort of every human making dreams happen. Sorry to interrupt you, Phil. Go back to your feelings, man. I want to hear. No, that's uh, accurate. Well done on the shout out. Rafa was instrumental for the B&E, and we hadn't mentioned them in the first part. But uh, when I rolled up to that venue, to the snow park, if you will, I thought that was the competition renaissance for skiing. I thought that that would be the way that uh, comp skiing would would evolve. That was the, the route that it would be needed to take for uh, – not only put like uh, pressure off athletes because uh, when you're dealing with the uh, linear jumps and rails, uh, the the options are kind of limitless at some point uh, outside of the realm that you don't want to die doing shit. So that course really allowed you to do things and be creative and just uh, really do tricks that you couldn't do elsewhere ever so there was no way you could practice for that event like there was no airbag setting you up for that course so it was really like who skied the course the most and just like uh really thought the coolest thing for that the coolest thing that you guys did for that was invite the og guys you invited dave Crichton. you invited um i think uh obviously candid but he was obviously still at the top of the game at that point um you know like what 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 inspired that kind of og like you know those i I remember um i remember one of the dudes saw dave Crichton, who's like probably our age phil you're a little bit younger than me but not much younger um and they saw dave Crichton, and they like wigged out and they were like oh my god it's dave Crichton!" like they made like a really big deal out of it and like when I met, when I played Babyfoot with Julian, I was like, this was like, it's like, oh, that's fucking Julian. Like, I don't really fanboy out on people, but because that, that, that nostalgia of when I was a child of Freeze and where mystery was still a really big deal, you know, I still got that butterflies from when I met Julian. And I'd seen him around a little bit when I was a kid, but I never went to High North. I always went to SMS because my parents made me still become a mogul skier they wanted me to go to the olympics and australia was like yeah you, that that was we were a bit behind with that kind of shit you know what i mean um what inspired mm-hmm. that you to invite all the ogs i think it was a common decision between uh 
Henrik Eiberg and I just uh, doing some back and forth and really Henrik and I also always been uh, uh, grateful for the people who came before and know that we wouldn't exist without them. So it was a perfect moment to uh, show our uh, pay homage to those people and show our gratefulness by invited them, inviting them to a, an event of a new genre. And did you? And that was kind of the whole purpose of the 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 whole idea of all the invitationals was, if you look at Tanner's event, I just looked at who we invited that year. I mean, we had Shimo there, we had Joya there, we had had Candide showed up, you know, Turpin was there. Like the list of the OG, and the whole point was like also, skiing is the only sport that gets rid of its legends, like in action sports. Like other action sports, like praise their legends, give them a, a long term. If you want to keep riding or doing what you do, there's an outlet for you. In skiing, we saw so many people have like just get pushed out once they're injured, no matter how big they were. Mm. And the idea is it's just like Tanner's more popular today than he was 10 years ago. But the industry doesn't understand that. They're just waiting for him to get injured so they can cut him and have a cheaper kid. But his name is so big that he can still move stuff, just like Michael Jordan's name gets bigger every year. So it's just, it's very interesting. You know, like that was a huge thing for me because I wanted to make sure there was an outlet for all these guys that still love skiing and still had followers and fans to like be like, hey man, that guy still does ski. And you know what? It makes those older guys feel like fucking the shit to even have that experience because no one gave a shit since we gave them phone calls for these invitationals. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, well, it's it was strange. Um, <clears throat> you know, I grew up in one of the most localized surf places in the world, and then I was a skier. So everyone, when I was a kid, was like, "Why don't you snowboard?" Blah blah blah, bullshit, bullshit. But I remember being a kid, and I always remember, you know, like friends of my family were like Tom Carroll. He was like a two-time world champion, and and he was like in his forties, and he was he was an Australian icon. You know, like he was famous, and. In surfing, like, you know, all the old dudes, they have a world masters. They have a, you know, it's a big, all the old dudes, Shane Haran, fucking, you know, Mickey Dora. That's from me. People still talk about Mickey Dora now. And that's from like the fifties and the sixties, you know, people talk about buttons. They talk about the Duke. They talk, you know, so there's, there's even a statue of the first guy that surfed in Australia at Freshwater in Sydney, a uh, Duke Kukamanga, however the say you say the last name. He was like an Olympic champion swimmer. And then he came over and went surfing here. And, um, you know, like that, that, that homage of that whole nostalgic old school, um, you know, it's, it's sad that we don't pay homage to that in skiing because, you know, the guys that were doing it in the seventies, you know, John, do you know who John Eves is Phil? The Quebec OG. John Eves was the 1978 world aerials champion, I think. And he was in. He was in Bond movies, I think. Yeah, he was in all the Bond movies with my dad's friend John Faulkner. My dad moved to to Verbier in Switzerland in 1976 with John Faulkner, who was in all the movies with John Eves. And then John Eves was in um, uh, Fire, Ice, and Dynamite, Fire and Ice, that Willy Bonga movie. And like that guy was, it was OG, bro. Like he was fucking, he was a fucking shredder, man. And like most people have no idea that that guy even existed. And it's really sad that skiing doesn't pay that homage. Obviously, the '80s guys kind of got it, you know, Schmidt and Schmidt and Plake. But that it's was because people. that was kind of the nostalgic. That was the one 
outlet. There was like two out of a hundred guys that got props. Yep. So that, that's the whole point. Now, like Phil and I are doing a show called giving flowers that we're going to start season two. And it's like, if you really look at it, I'd always, I always tell Tanner this. And um, like when we're growing up, let's say it's 1998, right? Think back in your head. Was there anyone skiing in 1998 that was dope in 1968? Oh, we lost Phil. But uh, I'm going to, should we get a hold of Phil and I can continue this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue, continue for sure. Should I wait till we get Phil? Oh, if he comes back. <laughs> yeah. All right, back. I'll just continue this story because Phil's heard it. So if it's 1998 and we're all teenagers or whatever, there was no one dope in the sport of skiing that was dope in 1968. Now let's take the year 2000. Tanner Hall was dope. It's 2023. He's still dope. Same with Candide. There's no people like this. So it's it's super interesting with the sport because we're actually – trying to create these legends and icons yeah so yeah it's a it's a long-term work to do and and how do you think uh people can pay homage to that like how do you think that do you, do you have any intentions of um of, of reinvigorating that kind of stuff or is it is it kind of a dead horse that you know no i think we're doing what we can do with our giving flowers show you know like as far as that making sure we can like document it archive it and put it out there but um you know it Maybe someone starts a Hall of Fame sometime. Maybe no one will do it, so I'll have to start one online just for fun, you know, just to get more and more. But I think because these guys are having such long careers, two decades long now, there's there's over a handful. I mean, even Sean Pettit. Sean Pettit's like 30. He's been a pro for like two decades. It's fucking crazy, and he's still young as shit. So Is he, is he technically that, still a pro skier? Is he technically still yeah, a pro and a snowboarder. But does he skate at all? I, I believe so. I mean, he's a big K2 guy, man. He's helping re like create a whole program with them for snow. So yeah, so he's a big he's a big K2 guy, but is he actually still skiing? Yes. How come he doesn't put out any content? Because I've never seen him. I've it's, never seen him. I think he's taking because he's taking more of a role. You know, it's kind of like you watch some of the older guys start like Pep. He still skis, but he takes a bigger role. Uh Eric Pollard, you know, all these guys still fucking kill it. You know, it's just a matter of where the energy's at at the moment. And uh, Iberg, can you tell me a little bit more about the um, the Tom Penny of skiing, Mr. Eric? Eric, Eric. Are we going to get Phil back on here? Because I want Eric him on Pollard. this one. I'm here. Phil? Yeah, I didn't see you. There we all go. Right. Yeah. So, Welcome back, Pollard. Phil. What do you, what do you want to know about Eric Pollard? I want to know about... How much progressive, like how he was so much ahead of the, like if you watch royalty, he's the way that he was taking off with his edge calves and his opposite spins with those differentials that he was doing. That line that I think you filmed at Super Park where he does that full line where he goes up the wall ride and then he does the, yeah. the he spins both ways with the, the lip on blind too. Like that shit was like, that shit was like next level. Like he was the, he was my favorite skier. Like he was that huge fucking hip jump that he does that flat spin three off. Like that was some. So like I'll say this. Eric Pollard is the biggest artist that skiing's ever had. So, I mean, you have athletes and you have artists and free skiing is like Phil's an artist, right? So we have an artist on the phone. Henrik's an artist. Tanner is an artist and an athlete. 
you know, as far, and Henrik has a little bit of this, like, but there's still more of an artist because he creates more videos than all this stuff. So I'm going to put him in that. But Eric Pollard, like, visually, mentally, everything he does is a painting, right? So, like, even my first year when working with him, he has a, a, a trick list in his pocket at age 17. And so when he skis, he knows what he wants to do. He knows where the camera wants to be. He knows what angle it is. He's thought about his leg stance. He knows where his ski fits on his foot. He's so conscious of style and who he wants to be, just like how he'd have to paint a picture. You know, you have to be conscious of how you want to draw it, what your lines are, every single thing. And I'd watch him do this. And yeah, he's just the illest, man. If any, if anyone's not seen, I think it's Drawn From Here is his movie. That's incredible. And if you watch this, it is the most epic movie I've ever seen in the sport of skiing. Like for our modern twin tip skiing, as far as a piece of art that's considered a movie. It's it because I, I sat there and for the first six minutes, he had audio clips that explained who he was perfectly. And if you don't know him, he found the dopest audio to tell his story. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, you know what? How did you know all that? How did they? And those people made him who he was, you know, it directed him in the things, the experiences, the people that he's part of. And I don't know, big up Eric Pollard. He's just the wickedest. He's top three. Quinn to Tanner, that- Candide and uh pollard but he is number one artist do you think that was because of the the northwest culture that was so impactful on him of snowboarding because like yeah he's on an island you know he's on a volcano everyone else skis on mountains everyone else has these things his community was this mountain that's a year-round glacier that's just like people that live under the fucking trees that don't see the sun and then they go up to a volcano and go above the clouds and just fucking have the stickiest snow you've ever ridden and until you, when you go there the first time, you're like, "What the fuck is this?" You've snow? never been to a, You've never been to Australia. <laughs> I haven't. So you probably have the same sticky shit. But at the yeah, same time, do. I never. I mean, like, because it's even flatter. You know, like say summer glacier snow in Whistler, it's corned out. But like this stuff in Hood, it's it's different, man. Like how it settles after it snows. You're just I don't know. You have to ski different. I think. What about all his influences? Who were your who were your big influences when you were a kid? Obviously, Mikel was a big one, but you know, were you pretty heavily influenced by those Northwest guys as well, like Griffin Cummings? And you know, obviously, this would have been when you were really young. Griffin, uh, not so much. Uh, It started off with uh, Falou being my favorite skier. Well, he was a and uh, he was a yeah. Falou yeah, had that segment in the game with uh, rock superstar Cypress Hill, and yeah. that really resonated. He had the same name as me, so I thought that was dope as fuck. So I related to him big time. And he He's got, from and Quebec. He got second everyone's name Phil in Quebec, and he got second <laughs> in the world flaring bartending flaring championships. And he was sponsored by um, what was the rum company he was sponsored by that gave him the budget at the Petit Caribou. Appleton Rum. Was it oh. Appleton? Shit. I thought Caribou was just a sponsor. No, yeah, he, yeah, he was bar. sponsored by the the, the 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 actual alcohol company and he was he went he got second at the World Flaring Championships. That just shows you how talented that that dude is. Like that's pretty fucking cool to go to get second at the world flaring championships and you also happen to be like six foot fucking four and you're a pro skier. Like, there's not yeah. many people that have that multi-talented dimensions. Like, that guy was a pimp, bro. Yeah, he is the first big man. Like, he's an inch taller than me. He was so big. I was just like, what the fuck? You do dope tricks? Wicked. Yeah. Yeah, he shrunk. 
Or he's still the same size and height, but he shrunk. He's uh, no, he got on a bike. You know what happens to old guys when they get on bikes, man. He's yeah, on, different he's man. Back to back, he's back to back. Um, left nine to right nine at WSI, where he didn't get the points that he wanted. That was one of the most impactful, um, things that happened in that little area of skiing because it kind of opened people's eyes to what was going to go on that same competition. Um, I think, um, or it might have been the year after when Turpin did the whole run switch. Do you remember that, Phil? Mm-hmm. Those were like the. That was like two years later, I think. Was it? Because when Falou did that, that was 2009. And why it was so crazy is like no one ever, first of all, no one linked even big tricks on film. And then he linked two big tricks in a contest. Like you never saw it. It'd be alley oop five or straight air to nine, nine alley oop. You know, alley-oop to five. You know, you, like the biggest combo in a comp run in 2000 was maybe an alley-oop five to a five. You know, like that's it. Like it's to see a right side and a left side, nine in a goddamn pipe. He's like Tony Hawk. <laughs> True. So, so what was it like um, originally, Phil, when you were – when you were growing up in Canada, as opposed to being in America, like how did you, did you get onto the feeder teams before you got onto the, like onto the bigger American teams? Or was it because you had certain strategic sponsors, you kind of got to skip that. Whether it's, a, whether it's like your other homies, like B Paul and his little brother, they never really became like full super pro international guys, even though they were almost as good as you. They kind of, it seemed like they kind of got stuck on Canadian sponsors that didn't really promote them or run ads of them. Yeah, I got really lucky with the encounter of uh, the one and only JP Eau Claire. Rest in peace. He uh, put me on Armada in the first place, and that really uh, changed the whole dynamic of my skin and introduced me to a much broader audience. He also brought me to the second Arash Master. I was on JP's team then. And also, no, Phil was the first person to get a free pair of skis from Armada that wasn't on the original Mada team. So 14-year-old Phil in 2004 was the first guy, like, other than JP, JF, Julian, Tanner, Boyd, and Anthony, 14-year-old Phil got the pair from JP. So it's like there's a lot of time and place in those comparisons when you make it uh, B Paul and Emil, and Emil's a lot younger too. So it's a different track. It's tough to just get the in. But then let's not take away from the work ethic of Phil, because he got that in 2004, and then it it took five solid years of hard work before the X Games and the and the B and E show. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one random question for you, Iverg. Um, do you know where the footage is of of Andy and? Um, Pep at X <laughs> potentially. Oh yeah, you should you should try and find that and then archive it and put it out because I really reckon that would would make an impact. Because of... I think after this amount of time, it's a lot more fun to answer the way I just did for the rest of my life because I get the question <laughs> at least once a month, at some form for fifteen fucking years. <laughs> like I already had the question this month again. Like other than you, it's normal. Yeah. And how do we get a K2 to make another Hellbent? Because, like, that was the best ski of all time and for just fucking around in the park. You're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> get our modder to make a remake. So, Phil, um, 
what are you up to these days? You you so you transition. You did you did the the B and E. Um, you did that. How many? You did that three years in a row. I I was uh, lucky enough to be at two of them. I didn't come to the third one because I wasn't living in France anymore. Um, do you have any intentions of of doing that again uh, as skiing now? Do you think that skiing would support something like that? Um, obviously you're still on Monster. They they've been a major 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 um proponent of you doing what you get to do. Um. And I think they backed that pretty hard. Do you think that they that would be in their their wheelhouse to be able to do something like that again? And would you do it in France or would you do it in America or Canada? Good questions. Shouts to Josh Bishop for putting me on Monster. First off, he definitely uh, gave me a second or third win to my career because otherwise, I don't know if I'd be taking that much risk if it wasn't uh, that good of a payoff. Um. Yeah, there will be another B&E, and it is in the making right now. Who knows if it will be a digital version or a human version, but we'd like to have both happen, and the location will be on your computer screen and in perhaps a country called Andorra and perhaps a province called Quebec. That would be the goal. So you'd like to do one in Quebec and one in, one in Andorra? Yeah, and uh, to speak about it, there's no better person than Iberg because he's uh, definitely been putting this back on the table, big time. So, 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 Eric, you made a you made a hiatus. You've you've been on hiatus out of um on a little uh, sabbatical out of skiing for the last few years. I, I'm I I personally am very aware of what what you've been doing. Um, what what kind of brought you back into skiing, and what would you like to um what would you like what kind of impact would you like to to make now that you're kind of back and how do you see the landscape of skiing? Um, has it progressed? Has it, has it gone backwards in the last kind of five years? You know, obviously I'm not ex exposed to it anymore. I don't ski that much anymore. Um, I still love skiing, but I kind of got over it because it just seemed really stale. Um, just from my perspective. Um, but now I'm kind of getting that bug again. And I'm just curious about, did you get the bug again, Eric? Was it necessity? And where would you like to take what you want to do with Phil and Inspired and all this stuff that you're doing with Shred Source? I guess, so like we ended Inspired Media end of 2016. And the last project um, that I worked on was Be Inspired. And we put out uh, Tanner's project, Ring the Alarm. And so, like, to me, that was, like, I did a huge original soundtrack with Walshy Fire of Major Lazer, who was, Major Lazer was the biggest, most streamed band in the world, or DJs, whatever the fuck, in 2015. So I did all this, and I mixed hip-hop and dance all together. I had two skiers. I never made a movie with two skiers before. I made two movies with three skiers, right? Idea and Education and Style. And we just murdered it. And then we gave it free and made sure the world saw it. So I was like, man, I want to go out on top. To me, that was like winning the championship, you know? So it was kind of like, I didn't want to hang on to something because it was a little frustrating, which it always was to raise money, to be on the road every single day, whatever. But I happened to have my second child born a week before the premiere of 2016, Be Inspired. I had two children. I was in Denmark with my wife and it just didn't look like, it would be the right decision for me to keep sleeping on Tanner's couch and travel the world nonstop and give all my time to Tanner, Phil and Henrik when I have a wife and two children. So I kind of replaced my wife and children with, uh, from Phil, Tanner and Henrik, 
but at the same time <laughs> in my my hiatus <laughs> i still did a bunch of i still talk with phil i still talk with henrik i still talk with tanner i still talk with kai i still talk with bellinger and the list goes on and on and on of all the people i still work with and music and skiing and so when i was the spring just going through certain things and all these kind of things are lining up. I've been in Minnesota now for five years and I was kind of looking at like how big skiing was here, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity being given to people here or cool stuff, whether it's events like contests or uh, tours or movie festivals or all this. So this was kind of like my spark because now my kids are like seven and 10 years old where I'm like, man, I can, I have some time to do something locally. And I really preach to Phil, to Tanner, to Henrik, to all my friends, like you can do the most for your career in your community, right? Like everyone knows you in your community because we all busted our ass to become who we are. So we're kind of a big deal in our community if, when people know about us. So I kind of take the same thing I've been pushing on these guys for years and being like, what can I do? So I kind of started to look, I was like, all right, I can make a slope style tour in Minnesota. So I created like a four-stop slopestyle tour next year, the Inspired Free Ski Tour. And then everything's still inspired because I've always been inspired. Um, shred Sauce, what can I do in skiing in the summertime? All right, man, let's hook up with Shred Sauce. We used to have them on Tanner, Phil and Henrik on B. Paul's website. You could play characters that were them 10 years ago. So I hit them up. I go, oh, let's do contests every week. So we got the Inspired Shred Sauce Summer Series. And then like, so we just finished with um, Henrik on the Sochi course with the Cali P song. Right now we're doing... Phil's character on a big air in the national stadium of Kingston of uh, in Jamaica in Kingston with uh, Kabaka pyramid songs. And then I just went down the list. I was like, what can I do? And then I made a list that's a page long and I just kind of check it off every day when I wake up and go to the end. And I don't know, it just seemed like it was time. And then it snowballs because every phone call opens another opportunity of fun. Now, um, crossover to you, Phil, um, you had your, your major success with, um, with real ski um, or real snow or whatever, I can't remember which, the urban ski competition that X Games ran, that kind of put you in a huge mainstream um, position as the recognizable, you know, best urban skier in the world, which you probably still are. Um, oh, yeah, yes, ever. Did you get, did you get a, lot of, um, a lot of mainstream um, kudos for doing that? Um, how hard was that? going about you know filming such a impactful segment in such a short amount of time and will they ever do it again uh, thank you both for the kind words uh, that was uh, the most stressful two months in my life especially the first one I did not know how to go about it so I was uh, kind of losing my head just trying to do the biggest things I could possibly find and uh Obviously, I had the, the I had the chance to have premeditated a lot of the spots that I wanted to do. So the first year of real ski, I was invited, but uh, I was filming for Be Inspired, and so I turned it off just to keep shooting for Be Inspired because that was the second year we was filming for Be Inspired, and that was the aim. So I turned it off. Then the second year, I had blown my knee, so I couldn't do it. So the third year, I could do it. So then I had kind of this uh, pent-up, like, uh, pre-made idea of what I wanted my segment to look like. And 
So that worked in my favor. It was just I couldn't really uh, parse out time and trick and how many clips would fit. Obviously, I studied every single real ski there were, and there was from 12 to 15 shots. So I kind of went strategic uh, and just uh, parsed it out and had to have uh, one clip a week or so. And it was stressful as fuck. It was cold as fuck also that year in Quebec, the first year. But it worked out for the best, and uh, we got a memorable piece, uh, Brady, B-Mill and I, and the second year was easier because I had the formula down and I was just going to not stress and make sure I'd get 12 heaters and that was it. And I think that experience paid off. And so that's how you thought about it was that you needed 12, 12 tricks and then that you just kind of wrote it all out and then went about ticking them off one by one. Yep. Yep. And finally got 15 left three out of the piece and just, uh, let the 12 ring for longer and just not uh, crunch stuff up and make sure there was some type of breeding in the edit. And what did, did you, you know every spot before you started filming that you were going to go to? Yeah, pretty much. There was maybe uh, one or two serendipitous like show up and this is there, but yeah, Honestly, like everything was really mapped out. I was planned how, out. How did you find the most the most impactful spot? In my opinion, was the um the down rail to pretzel bomb drop river a uh, redirect wall ride. How did you find that spot? Was that like a hanging staircase? Like why? How does that place exist? Like, That's uh that? one of the many uh left off buildings in Quebec just uh I don't know they must have like uh been a water purification center or some shit and uh something happened water went bad but um <laughs> that spot was actually from uh Louis uh the almighty snowboarder he had it in a segment the year before and when I saw it I was like that's the that's the spot I gotta get that so I asked Louis uh, if it was cool and he was down and we got the coordinates with uh, Emil and uh, we showed up and made it happen. But it was some real engineering uh, thing going on there. You had to build a platform in order to reach the rail because the in-run was hanging in the in the empty space. So Louis had like done so much engineering. And when I showed up there, there wasn't even a way to get up to the rail. You had to add the a 30 foot ladder to go up the staircase. So it was really like, um, demanding, uh, with, with my, like, uh, especially back then I kind of was like, I'll hit whatever is easily accessible and I don't have to put work into making happen other than like a uh, snow building. That's okay. But when you have to like, uh, use a grinder to cut metal and then use ratchets to tie a plywood to fill in the empty space and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I was like, fuck that. I ain't no carpenter. Like, I don't know shit about it. So that really put me out of my comfort zone. But with uh, the right people, we made it happen. And and has there been any uh, rumblings of, uh, the, of X Games bringing that stuff back after COVID? Nope. No, it doesn't seem like so. 
So that that you've kind of you've you've won it, you've done it. Would you like to do it again if the opportunity arose? Or you kind of like uh, tick that box and you, nah, nah, I'm 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 doubtful I would because uh it's a lot on the line and also you give yeah, sure there's a prize purse, but you also give that like footage. I definitely made milk the cow with that shit, like making two movies out of it and I think that was uh an era that is uh left me nostalgic but not uh hungry for more and now where just uh one last question before we leave um where, where would you like to take your your skiing in the near future like where where do you see yourself you've already pretty much ticked all the boxes is there anything else that you'd like to do or achieve to the fifth dimension to another universe for sure i'm trying to uh branch out and make it so that uh the brand B dog is uh, ephemeral and just uh, long lasting. Therefore, that's why I'm branching out and making these cartoon characters represent the the character and uh, making sure also with Iberg that we're on it with the digital world because it's uh, unavoidable that we're gonna face a big change with the artificial intelligence coming up and we gotta embrace it. So, kind of like uh, trying to tap into that and keep also the thorough work ethic that I have with like the movie making and on the ground shit, just like keep going out there and also connecting with the skiers that I love and look up to, to make some memorable, memorable pieces and uh, keep shining. What about you, Iberg? Same shit, different story. Yeah. Yeah, exact same. This is long. going to be fun. You'll see it all in the next year. Well, I, I really give you guys kudos. I've um, admired you two from afar for a long time. Um, a lot of the content that you've created over the years, especially you, Eric, has been very impactful on my life. Phil, you're still the most stylish skier of all time. Up there with Mikel, you're like one of the, you know, you're one of the icons of the sport. You know, you're, you're the heir apparent of the Tom Penny of skiing. Um, so kudos. Thank you very much for your time. Um, and uh, Phil, where can we find you on um, on socials? Thank you very much, brother. That means a lot. I'm uh, at Casablanca on Instagram. And then you, and then you, Eric, inspired. Uh, media. I just say, inspired media TV on Instagram, and then we'll have the websites up probably whenever this airs. I don't know, at early August, and that'll Perfect. be inspiredstore.co. Well, inspired to the world, Bullies World Podcast, season two, episode two. Keep it real, guys. Thanks for your time. Have a lovely, uh, have an awesome fucking day. You guys have contributed yeah, greatly thanks, to, the, to the culture of skiing and just the culture of action sports in general. Enjoy your afternoon. Yeah. You too, Thank man. you, Willie. Thanks. Peace, man. Peace, brothers. Peace. Thank you very much.